Well, uh, recently our son has gotten to the point in his development where uh, he is fascinated by the concept of gravity. Uh, he's a big fan of gravity. He's, he's learned that if he's holding something, whether it's a toy or food, it's usually food, um, it, and he drops it, it, it falls, and he just loves doing it. And you can kind of see his brain like process things like, oh, when I throw something, something happens, and it's kind of cool. And, and one of the things that we're trying to teach him and show him is how to stack things, uh, and so we got this giant box of, of these giant Legos, um, which, by the way, one of the best parts about parenting is I get to play with Legos again. Like, it's it's great. Uh, and so I was showing him kind of how to do this, trying to teach him a little bit, and I, I built this tower of Legos. And I don't want to brag, but it was a really good tower. Like, I was pretty impressed with myself. I think I deserve a, a sticker or a gold star or something. Uh, and I was building this tower, and, and it was great, and it was perfect, and, and I was showing him, and, and I could see him watching me. And, and as I build this, he crawls over, and what he does is he stares at me. And while he stares at me, he gets this look in his eye, and he takes one hand, and he just swipes it, and it falls. I was like, it was a power move. Like. <laughs> so then I start to rebuild. I get a couple of blocks back up, and, and he does it again. He stares at me, and he knocks it over. And I said, this boy has discovered his sin nature. <laughs> like, here I am. I'm, I'm building this for you. Like, it's, it's this good and perfect thing, and, and you've caused it to fall. You are a sinner in need of grace. I said that to him. I didn't say that. Uh, today, though, we're, we're finishing up the series that we've been in uh, since the new year began, this Gospel in Genesis series. We've been looking at these foundational chapters that, that show us so much about who we are and what we're here for, about what went wrong in the world, and, and what hope that we have about things being made right again. The last few weeks, if, you, if you've been tracking with us, we've worked our way through Genesis chapter 3, this moment where Adam and Eve turned from God's command. And sin enters into the world, this unraveling and corruption and destruction of the good. Where everything that God had built for his children falls. We saw this last week, God beginning to explain the ramifications, the the consequences of this fall. He proclaims this curse on the serpent that he would be defeated that God would have victory, that God will do what he so often does. He will show up and pursue and provide for his people, that he will offer us salvation, this first gospel that points us to the cross. That points us to our focus today as God turns his attention away from the serpent and towards his children, towards Adam and Eve, and he tells them the consequences of their disobedience. And so today, I just want to give you uh, maybe a bit of a a warning uh, that this is not going to be a fun and light and easy end to our series. Rather, we're going to see some things that are going to be pretty difficult and and heavy that we might not want to hear. And yet, what we're going to see today in this passage and what we see all throughout Scripture is this. And this is the the lens that we're going to be viewing everything through today. Here's the, the main point I want you to hear. That God responds to sin every single time with holy love for his people. God responds to sin with holy love. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to split the rest of this chapter up into two sections. Uh, We'll start with verse 16. This is God speaking. He says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I told you it was heavy. Uh, We'll pause here. I want to show you a few things. The first thing we see here is the curse. Uh, The curse. Uh, One of the things I've noticed about myself uh, as I've gotten older, as I've become a parent and a homeowner, uh, is just how, like, stereotypical dad stuff is just the best to me. Like, I love peace and quiet. I like my yard being nice. You know those commercials where people become homeowners and turn into their parents? That's me. Like, I'm living those commercials. I think I have to get really into smoking meat or, or World War II. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Last year, though, it was our our first full uh, summer in the house. And and when summer began, I had all these dreams of what my yard was going to look like. I spent all that, all so much time out there. And and I was like, man, all my dad neighbors are going to be jealous of me. It's going to be awesome. And can I tell you that on two separate occasions, in two different parts of my yard, I got poison ivy so bad that I had to go to the immediate care center. They gave me steroids. I was miserable for weeks. And the worst part was, is I felt like my yard had betrayed me. Like, I loved you so much. This is how you repay me. It was terrible. But, but this is the idea of this passage, of this curse that we see, that, that this thing that was supposed to be good, this, this gift, this blessing, has been corrupted and twisted and destroyed by the power of sin. This is God's pronouncement to Eve and then to Adam. And, and pause here because it's important that we remember what is going on here in Genesis chapter 3, that we remember the context of what's happening in our story. Remember God's response. Remember the gentleness that he showed, drawing his people out, asking, where are you? Remember the victory that he's already proclaimed. This thing that he's said to the enemy that that you will not have victory, I will. Remember the salvation that he has promised. Remember him saying that he will not be our enemy. He says all of those things. We talked about this last week, how, how the curse of sin was not just God thinking up whatever would be most painful or most harmful or most destructive. It wasn't God losing his divine temper but rather he here is laying out as clearly as possible that that this is what happens when this thing that I have built you falls. This is what sin does. It takes God's good and perfect gifts and it unravels and corrupts and destroys them. Sin leaves a trail of brokenness every time. A curse. That impacts not just Adam and Eve, but you and me today. We see this first with Eve. Look again at verse 16. We're told that her pain would be greatly multiplied. We talked about this uh, back in chapter 1, how God gave the, the man and the woman this charge, this blessing to be fruitful and multiply. And this is the first thing that sin corrupts, that both having and raising children would be marked by pain and difficulty and sorrow. Now, those of you that are moms, you don't 
There's nothing I can say, is there? You don't want to hear my take on how hard childbirth is. Uh, it's a long story. We don't have time for it. But when Luca was born, uh, my wife scared one of the doctors out of the room. Like, it was impressive and scary. I was just hoping she was going to let me stay. But this is true, isn't it, moms? That the one thing harder than that experience is watching your children suffer and struggle and be in pain. It's true, isn't it, moms and dads, that parenting, this gift, this good thing, this blessing and part of God's design for the world is one of the hardest things to do well, isn't it? It wasn't supposed to be this way, but this is what sin does. It takes what is good and it twists and it destroys and it corrupts. It leaves behind this trail of brokenness. We see this not just with parenting, but in this relationship between Adam and Eve. And again, remember what God had just done, this covenant that he had just established that we call marriage. This relationship was meant to be defined by mutual sacrifice and unconditional love, where the needs of the other would always be greater than our own. This was God's intent, not just in marriage, but in all of our relationships, that we would be known for our love and our sacrifice and our selflessness. This is the second thing that sin corrupts. We're told that Eve's desire would be contrary to Adam, and in return, Adam would rule. In other words, relationships will suffer from selfishness and a longing for control. This, by the way, is why uh, Scripture has so much to say about how we treat each other. This is why Jesus, when he was asked, what, what's most important? What's the greatest and most important commandment? It's why he says two things. To love God, to love your neighbor. Because every time we fail to do that, every time we put ourselves above another, every time we follow our own desires, our own longings, our own interests at the expense of another, we bring the world back to Genesis chapter 3. Sin is the failure to love. God then turns his attention to Adam. Look again uh, with me to verse 17. To Adam, he says, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now notice this with me. Notice that Adam's curse is presented differently than Eve's. What happened to Eve? She was deceived by the serpent. What did Adam do? He listened to the voice of his wife. So, husbands, is that our takeaway? Don't listen to your wife? Can you imagine if I said that to Judy? God told me I don't have to listen to you. Of course, that's not the point. Rather, this is what God is saying. Adam, you should have known better. You heard the commands from me. You knew what was right. You should have refused your wife. should have taken her, knocked the fruit out of her hand, and run together. You should have called on me to drive that serpent away. 
you knew better. He didn't. So often, neither do we. And this, I think, is so important and so instructive for us in a world filled with different beliefs and worldviews and opinions of who God is. This is what we are to do, what we could call spiritual discernment. That in everything that we hear with our friends and family, when we listen to the news, when we scroll on social media, that everything would be filtered through this. Who is God? What has he said? And what has he called me to? This is what Adam failed to do. And then again, we see the consequences. Remember what all the things that God has given him. A companion in Eve. A purpose with work. A paradise, this garden to cultivate life and enjoy God's presence. All of it a gift from a loving father meant to be enjoyed forever. And sin has taken what was good and it has unraveled and corrupted and destroyed it. The ground will no longer produce in plenty, but now will be cursed, overrun with thorns and thistles and poison ivy. Paul talks about this in Romans uh, chapter 8. He says that we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Work will no longer be a gift, but a burden. He will toil and hurt and suffer. This breath of God that produced life will one day leave his body and he will return to the dust from which he was made. This is what happens when sin enters into the world. Families fall apart, relationships suffer, work becomes toil, the world groans, and life turns to death. Can we pause here, though? My guess is that I don't need to do much convincing for you to believe that, do I? You know what sin does. You see it. You experience it every single day, don't you? How many of us need convincing that there's something broken in our relationships as we see abuse happen and marriages end and families fall apart? How many of us need convincing that work can be difficult as we struggle to find purpose and calling and fulfillment? How many of us need convincing that the world is broken as we look out there and we see natural disasters and war and pandemics and injustice and division everywhere we look? How many of us cry out that it should not be this way? As we think of those that have lost children, those who know what it is to experience sickness and death. You know what sin does. We live it every day. And this is why it is such good news that we have a God that responds with holy love. This is why it is such good news that we have a God who is holy. Because otherwise, he would not be good. God would not be good if he saw what sin does and did not care. He would not be good if he saw your pain and was apathetic. God is holy, and that tells us exactly how he feels about sin. It tells us that he grieves when you grieve. That he has righteous anger towards those who have harmed you. 
that he is working constantly to restrain evil and to promote good. God responds with holy love. He sees you, and then this is the really good news. He doesn't just see you and doesn't just know that it's wrong, but he responds. He steps into your sin. We see this in Galatians uh, chapter 3 in verse 13. It says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In other words, this is the love of God for you. That he doesn't just see your sin, doesn't just agree that it's wrong. He enters into it and takes on the very effects for you and for me. He took on everything, all the brokenness, all the corruption, all of the sorrow and pain. He took the thorns of the ground and it became a crown on his head. He took Adam's sweat from his face and he sweat blood in the garden. He took the curse of the tree all the way to the cross. He died the death that we deserved that we might live with him. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become righteous. This is the gospel message. And today, if, if you have not done so, this is the invitation, the question that the God of the universe gives to you. He says, will you accept the gift, the payment, the forgiveness that I offer? Will you admit that like Adam and like Eve, I too am a sinner in need of grace? Will you put your trust and your faith and will you give your devotion to him? This is what it means to follow Jesus, to be part of God's family, to spend eternity with him. Scripture teaches that it is by grace, through faith, that salvation comes. There's nothing we can do. There's no good deeds that we can accomplish, no money that we can give. It is a gift, an act of holy love from a God who cares for you. This gift of new life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that, As in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. And so today, if you've never done so, this is your opportunity to accept the gift, to say, Jesus, in this moment, I put my trust and I put my faith and I give my devotion to you. Okay, that's the curse. Let's finish up uh, Genesis chapter three as we see the covering. Uh, let me read the last couple of verses for you, starting in verse 20. It says that the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us and knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, I've shared before with you, uh, one of the things that I least enjoy doing is spending money. 
Uh, I hate spending money. I love to save money. I've mentioned this before, how for years in an effort to save, uh, Judy and I just didn't buy napkins. We would steal them from restaurants. Um, we have since left our days of crime. We now buy our napkins like all people in their 30s should do. Um, but one thing I still hate spending money on is socks. I hate spending money on socks. I will wear socks until there's nothing left to them. I have socks that I own that I've had longer than I've known my wife. And so they're kind of just like more whole than they are sock. Um, and I don't care, and it drives her crazy, and I think that's so much fun. And so it, it happened after we got married, uh, I started to notice that, that there were new socks entering into my life, and some of my old ones had started to leave, and I couldn't find them. And it turned out that she had bought me new socks and without telling me was throwing out my worst ones. And this is true, and this is going to be the most married thing you've ever heard. We had a fight about socks. Um, and for her, she, she just didn't understand it because this was an act of love, and she spent $10, I don't know. I've never bought socks. How much are socks? Ten dollars? Is that right? She spent however many socks are, and she had given me this, this wonderful gift and, and this thing that was better than what I had, this, this thing that was fresh and, and whole and clean. And I said, I don't want them. Send them away. But I was reminded of that in reading these verses. We see God do two things here. We see God send, and we see God cover. We see this sending that God, in, in holiness and in love, sends Adam and Eve out of the garden. And did you notice what happened there, where, where it seemed like God was speaking, and then he kind of just cut himself off? Almost as if he didn't even want to think about what would happen if they stayed in the garden. This, as we correctly understand this, is, is not an act of cruelty. It is an act of care that this is how great the curse of sin is, to let Adam and Eve eat of the tree of life and to live forever in this state would be the least loving thing that God could do. He sends them out of the garden for two reasons. First, as a consequence of sin, this, this image of the separation that occurs when we turn away from God. The reason for these cherubim and the flaming sword at the end there, those are images of God's holiness. And then second, he does so as an act of mercy to keep them from eternal pain. This is something that God still does for us today. We talked about this several weeks ago, that because God loves us and because he knows what's best for us, there will be things that he will try to keep us from. There will be prayers that he does not say yes to. There will be doors that he might close. Boundaries are a gift from a loving, caring father who knows what's best. He sends them. Then go back to verse uh, 21 with me. We see this covering that God provides, that, that even after all of this, all of the consequences and the curse and, and everything that happens, we see this beautiful picture of God doing what he so often does, showing up, pursuing, and providing for those that he loves. Verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed. Think back a few weeks ago to what happened when Adam and Eve sinned for the first time. 
Do you remember what they felt that they had never felt before? Shame. They felt shame. They, they felt insecurity and regret. They, they saw something about themselves that they had never seen before. They saw themselves as people with flaws, people who were broken. And what did they do? They sewed together fig leaves, something that, just like my beloved socks, are not enough, are not sufficient, and will not last. And this is the love of God, that he sees these two, and he does not let them sit in their shame. He clothes them. He takes animal skins, and he covers them. And in this moment of tenderness, he shows up in their guilt, and he offers them safety and belonging and love. What a picture this is. The love that God has for you and for me. What an image of the way that God sees you if you too know what it is to experience shame. Shame about what you've done or what's been done to you. Shame about who you were or who you are today. What a reminder this is for those who feel as if they aren't enough who see their sin and ask themselves, how could God want anything to do with me? How could God love me? Haven't I done too much? This is who God is. This is what he does. It's it's what he's done from the very beginning. This is the very point, not just of Genesis 3, but the entire story of Scripture, that this is who God is. A God who pursues a God who shows up, a God who provides for your need. Today, right here, in this space, God sees you. He knows any shame that you might be feeling. He knows that there's no cover-up that we can sew together for ourselves. There are no fig leaves, no good deeds, no good enough people. This is the good news that this is what it means to put your faith in Jesus. We see this written about in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. God today has covered you, clothed you in righteousness. We see this in Romans 8, verse 1, that to be in Christ is to live free of condemnation, to experience true freedom, to be forgiven. And this is the gospel message, that sin requires covering and sacrifice and cleansing, and that only comes from Jesus. 1 John chapter 1 talks about this, that, that it is the, that is only the blood of Jesus that makes me clean. Only him. Only his sacrifice, only his work on the cross brings us back to the Father. This is what God offers you. He's offered it from the very beginning, and he offers it to us today. And maybe this is the reminder that you need that shame is not a sign of spiritual maturity. You don't need to hold on to your guilt. You don't need to let it control you, and you don't need to let it define you. You can throw out your old coverings. God has given you something better. 
He's giving you something fresh and whole and clean. We don't have a God of shame, but of mercy. We have a God who shows up and pursues and provides for those that he loves, a God who responds every single time with holy love for us. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we do come to you and, and we, we declare that we are in need of your covering. Lord, we know that we're not perfect. We put our faith in the fact that you are. Father, I pray right now for, for any of us in this room that, that know the experience of shame, that are feeling it now because of what they've done or what's been done to them. God, I ask that your spirit would come down and, and would surround them with your peace and with the reassurance of your love that you would point us to the cross. Help us to remember that we are clean because of you, that we can trust in that that you have proven over and over again that you are good to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, as we uh, close today, I just want to mention a few things. First of all, our prayer team, as always, is available uh, in here. If there's anything going on in your life, if you want to accept the gift of salvation, we'd be honored to talk through any of those things with you. Uh, we uh, are kicking off a short mini-series next week. John Dixon will be joining us, uh, a series we're calling the road to the resurrection as we approach Easter Sunday, so make sure you are here for that. And uh, we do want to thank those of you that, that partner with us through your generosity. We have generosity boxes in the back. You can give online as well. Uh, for today's benediction, I want to read to you a verse from 1 John chapter 1. I read uh, verse 7 just a few moments ago, and this is what it says in verse 9. Hear this. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go today in God's faithfulness and justice. Amen.